I think it makes sense to never work with eating disorders alone, whether you're new or whether you've been doing it forever. Hello, welcome to The Seasoned RD, a podcast connecting newer professionals in the field of eating disorders to those of us who have been around for a while. I'm your host, Beth Harrell, a certified eating disorders registered dietitian and supervisor. And I'm Abby Brown, a registered dietitian who is newer to the field. I think of myself as a well-seasoned cast iron skillet with wisdom and experience, yet always ready for something new. And I think of myself as an Instapot with innovation and a fresh perspective. This podcast brings both to the table to share ingredients, recipes, and techniques of past and present so we can all be our best for the future. The kettle is heating up. The skillet is on simmer. So join us around the table for true professional nourishment. Abby, ready to stir the pot? Let's do it. Hello, and welcome back to the Seasoned RD podcast for all professionals, or if this is your first time, welcome to the Seasoned RD podcast for all professionals who work in the field of eating disorders. Today, we get to talk to Molly Kellogg, who is a CEDRD LCSW, Certified Eating Disorders Registered Dietitian and Supervisor, and LCSW, Licensed Clinical Social Worker. There is a whole bunch in her bio that I'm not going to go through right now because it's just vast, and she's a pioneer. So she today helps us understand the difference between supervision and case consults. If you're a dietitian, we don't really learn about supervision and how important it is for these biopsychosocial illnesses to understand how to counsel. And she asks us to think about how it is that we learn. We can read books, but supervision with your supervisor is a place to work on our personal stuff. It's really our stuff that comes in to that room with our client. She reminds us how she's still learning. Even though she's a pioneer, she says it's an endless learning process. And I love that about her. Never work alone as well is a a good piece of advice. Therapy, nutrition, and medical are the cornerstones of eating disorders care. She also gives us a little bit of advice on how to get some feedback about motivational interviewing as we're practicing that. And she has some great resources, the Counseling Tips for Nutrition Therapists practice workbook series I personally used many years ago, member of the Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers. And one thing I really want to make a plug for is that she is, we're going to have her back because of her internal family systems teachings for dietitians. But also, if you know of Molly's work and you have benefited from her work, there is now a nutrition counseling fund. And there's a link in the show notes through the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. And it is a way for us who have I benefited from her work to give back and to help this continue. It's so important for dietitians, whether you're in eating disorders or not, to understand counseling skills. So here is our interview with Molly. Well, hello, Molly Kellogg. We're so glad you're here with us today. And I'm delighted to be here. So I need to set the stage a little bit for everybody listening, but for you as well, Molly, so you know this special part of my education you have had. So as we all know, we really don't get a lot, if any at all, counseling education in undergrad or especially eating disorder education. 
But I was, I think it was my junior year of my undergrad and I had a counseling course with my amazing professor, Karen Fromm. She's great. And so we're getting into counseling and she's telling us like this enormous project we have, or we have to counsel a stranger. And so all of us are freaking out. We don't know how to counsel. And so then... Then she pulls up Molly Kellogg's motivational interviewing videos. And so I swear it was like a light bulb in all of our heads as we're watching it. We're like, oh, okay. So this is how you do that. This is how you say this. This is how you get more information out of them. And so throughout that whole year, we're like, okay, well, Molly Kellogg said this. So maybe try that instead and da, 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 da. And so then when Beth and I are deciding who's going to be guests for this, and she says, oh, yeah, I was I was thinking Molly Kellogg. I was just texting with her. I'm like, you're, you're texting <laughs> Molly Kellogg? I was emailing, yeah. It was, oh, my mind was blown. I guess it shows to go how cool Beth is, too. But basically, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm so, so excited to have you. Thank you for being here. So I wanted to make sure you knew that you were a big part in counseling for me. I'm definitely part of the reason why I'm here today. So yeah, thank you, Molly, for everything you do. And now I'll get into our icebreakers. So my first one for you, mountains or beach? That one's really easy for me, mountains, because my parents were introduced to each other because mutual friends knew that they were both really into mountain climbing. So uh, it's a big family thing. The White Mountains in New Hampshire, the Rockies, Switzerland, you name it. (laughs) Oh, wow. Switzerland even. That's that's so cool. Not very often, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but we've got the New Hampshire. That sounds beautiful. And I know that you're an outdoorsy person. So that makes a lot of sense um, when you said that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then breakfast or dinner? I think that's a little ridiculous to have to choose, <laughs> but, but I will say that I'm a very, very routine person when it comes to breakfast. I like to know what I'm having. So literally probably 350 days out of the year, I got to get up and have this wonderful whole grain bread that I get in my neighborhood toasted with crunchy almond butter and jam, usually peach jam and that's breakfast. Mm, yeah, that sounds <laughs> amazing. Kind of person. And that or, bread is something that you have to find and really hope for, that they keep making it forever. Yeah, and, and I have to go to a special store to get it and it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> a good seeded bread is, is mm-hmm. sometimes hard to come by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the last question is audiobook or paper book? Well, actually it depends on what kind of reading it is. If it's, you know, novels, biographies that I'm reading in bed before I go to sleep, I'm a Kindle person. Absolutely a Kindle person. And then, however, I'm not into audiobooks. But then the whole other category of professional reading, it has to be a paper book. I mean, I have dog-eared copies of Intuitive Eating and the Motivational Interviewing textbook and the Internal Family Systems textbook. And and actually, these days, the hardback books that I have been really underlining a lot are the ones on racism and anti-racism. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Isabel Wilkerson, Ibram Kendi, Resma Menachem, Robin DiAngelo. You know, those I have to have 
the absolute, you know, the copy because I underline and I go back. So sorry for the long answer on that one. Oh, I love it. I mean, even just knowing what you're reading is super interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Kind of, you know, we all shift in our focuses over over time and our evolution. So mm-hmm. that's super, super helpful to know. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I am going to take you back and hopefully this question isn't too traumatizing, but you're a registered dietitian and a therapist. So you get to choose. But I'm thinking about your exam day because there's board exams for both, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can choose which one. But do you have any memories of that exam day? Uh, exam day for RD was in 1980. So that's a long time ago. Yep. You were the pencil, the number two pencil. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, absolutely. And I simply, my only memory is being traumatized. <laughs> <laughs> and and then I did pass. And and my LCSW or LSW exam was in the mid 90s, 94, I guess. And that one, I believe that would have been an early computer day one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, w- it was on a computer. And I remember feeling like, are they actually getting all my answers? You know, is something getting lost? In the, you know? Yeah, and it is. I was traumatized. But. It, it is. It's one of those things that we have, we're, you know, some of our guests and some of our followers are people who are in school now and studying for their RD exam now or studying for whatever exam. And this podcast is for all professionals. So therapists, dietitians, other medical professionals, we have a strength and conditioning coach and a physical therapist and personal trainers, anyone who knows that they're working with, with folks with eating disorders. So we all have this, this memory of wondering, right? So yes, you pass, but you were traumatized by wondering if they were going to get your questions or if they were tracking this appropriately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, how did you get into the field of eating disorders work? How do I make a fairly long story? <laughs> right. You said 1980s? Yeah. Yeah. I graduated with a master's in nutrition in 79. And I worked as a dietitian in a hospital for eight years, mostly obstetrics. I loved prenatal work and in the high-risk obstetrics and a little pediatrics. And I, I just, I, you know, I love that. And then I wanted to start a private practice. And this was, so it was the mid to late 80s, I was starting a private practice. And that didn't exist back then. Abby, for those of you who are younger, private practice didn't exist. And so I didn't quite know what I was doing. And fortunately, I did it part-time because I would have starved. And um, I, I have to admit that eating disorders were basically not on my radar at that point. They were barely on my radar. And as I was in private practice for a little while, I began to see more disordered eating. And then, oops, some significant eating disorders that caught me off guard. And because I didn't go into this field expecting to do that work, it caught me off guard and I went, okay, got to get up to speed. So I sort of got into that sideways, if you will. I had to, and it became very interesting to me. And that's frankly what caused me to then go and get a degree in social work because I was working more and more with eating disorders because that's what begins to come your way. Mm-hmm. And I began to realize, I don't know what the heck I'm doing I'm not, I'm not doing this very well. (laughs) So that's what got me into more of the counseling skills. 
which, you know, you mentioned you got into it sideways and you had to. And this is also speaking to just knowing what you don't know, but also infusing yourself in the education that you know you need, not just hanging your hat saying, I do this. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to get into all the training that you did. And that's what makes makes us just such better practitioners to understand about the, the therapeutic piece. Yeah. And I ended up just, you know, teaching myself, reading things, because there really were, were not courses. There wasn't, I had, a, you know, certification. It wasn't any of that. So I did what I could. I happened to live very near to the Renfrew Center, which of course was the very first freestanding eating disorder treatment facility. And so I ended up learning a fair amount from them and for, from their annual conferences, which was, was very handy. You know, I think that's where I first met you, was at a Renfrew conference. I, Yes. Yeah. And there was the dietitian breakfast. It was a networking breakfast. And I had just started working at an eating disorder center in a children's hospital. It was an outpatient center. And they wanted me to become certified in my area of specialty. And I just told them there is no certification in eating disorders. And I, I remember asking, I think it was you and Jessica Setnick were both leading that breakfast. And you said, Molly, I think the you know, International Association of Eating Disorders Professionals has something. And that's how I that's how I was uh, introduced to certification as a whole. And so, yeah, there's that whole area of training now that, that is available for folks. Tracks that, that you can go through and that's great. And, and Abby and, and anybody who's newer coming along, I really applaud you to get some of that basic education as you move into the field. I did it backwards. (laughs) I was practicing. I was seeing people with eating disorders and unfortunately learning by working with them. <laughs> and yet to a certain extent, you have to do that anyway. I mean, mm-hmm. you have to start somewhere. So. Yeah. Right. And so you started seeing eating disorders a little bit more often. And then is that what then made you decide to become a therapist? Well, you put it that way to become a therapist. That wasn't my first thought. <laughs> my th- first thought was I want to be a better counselor. Mm. I realized that there was a piece missing. You know, I had the information, the science, that all of us get taught at nutrition. And I had gotten up to speed as much as there was at that point in terms of the science of eating disorders. But the counseling skills part, I felt very inadequate. And I I played around with, I, you know, I went to several different trainings. I, I did a couple years of um, um, neuro-linguistic programming, NLP. That was very helpful. And uh, I happened to be in a supervision group with some therapists. They actually weren't eating disorders therapists, but a friend of mine had this supervision group and I said, can I join it? And I began to realize, oh yeah, this is what I need, right? This is, if I had more of this, I would, I would be better at this. And so I asked all my therapist friends what I should do. And literally all of them, I think it was four or five of them told me the exact same thing, which was to go to the Bryn Mawr School of Social Work because Bryn Mawr's college is quite near me and happens to have one of the very best clinical social work programs in the entire country. I didn't know that till after I got there. So I applied and and I think it was after I applied and, and just as I was beginning the program where I went, oh, I can actually be a therapist. What a concept. <laughs> and I got it backwards or I got it sideways. <laughs> I had not been planning to actually become a therapist. I wanted to be a better counselor. 
Uh, so this, yeah, this is what I want you to share with us. As dietitians, you know, we don't know what supervision is. Mm-hmm. As a therapist, you, that's required for your license, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What do you want dietitians to know about supervision, case consultation? You have so many resources for people. And because you're dually licensed, mm-hmm. very helpful. Yeah. Well, and I know that Beth, you and Abby have been talking up supervision and in IADEP, of course, it's been talked up a lot. And of course, I I totally back that up. One of the points I always make to someone who's fairly new to supervision is that there are different types of supervision. And at different points in your career, you need different types of supervision. Early on, it's probably primarily case consultation. It's okay, I've got this case, you know, she's this age, this is how she's eating, this is her height and weight, now what do I do, you know? (laughs) And indeed, that's that's really important. And case consultation all the way through your work can can be very important. Beyond that, though, supervision I see as being the overall umbrella. Case consultation is one type of supervision. And there's also... Things like, you might call it mentoring, mentoring for starting a private practice, figuring out how to have those tricky conversations with clients about fees and insurance, you know, think more general things like that. And then the, I guess the deepest, or I don't know how to say it, but one way of looking at supervision too is the, what is sometimes called tr- counter-transference, our stuff our stuff that comes up when we're interacting with clients and getting help with that. You know, the, what do you do when you're a deer in the headlights, you know, and bringing those deer in the headlights moments into a therapist with a totally, I'm a deer in the headlights, help, you know, Mm -hmm. and being willing to do that, to be totally, please, I don't know what I'm doing. Just help me. (laughs) That, kind of thing is helpful. And, and, and then, of course, sometimes supervision can become even a bit like therapy, where the supervisor helps you notice the parts of you that are getting in the way and help you work with those parts of you. Anyway, is that all? Yeah, I love, yeah. So they, it's a way of helping you notice the parts of you. And Mm I, I'm, because I've attended some IFS, internal family systems training, I'm hearing the word parts. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So some dietitians don't know about internal family systems. I added it to the core courses a couple of years ago, just as an introduction to the different modalities. So can you share a little bit about that? And I think we're going to have you on for a full on like discussion about IFS for dietitians. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I'd be glad to briefly talk about that now. It's a model of, of looking at the world and looking at people and human beings. It's primarily used by therapists, but not only. And dietitians have gone through the training for IFS. And uh, Diana Dugan Richards and I, another dietitian who is IFS trained, we've been giving trainings for for dietitians. The basic theory behind it is that all of us are made up of parts. We're not just one person in a sense. We're made up of different parts of us. Mm -hmm. And... 
there are different parts of us that are sort of uh, driving the bus at given times. Mm -hmm. And when we recognize those parts and work with them and use them as resources and ask them to cooperate in the whole system, it works better. And with eating disorders, it works very well with eating disorders. Richard Schwartz, who developed the model, was working with eating disorders when he developed them. He was working with people with bulimia. And we all have food parts <laughs> and body parts, parts that have beliefs about our bodies and about food and shoulds and shouldn'ts and all that. Mm. And that would probably sound generally familiar to everyone who works with eating disorders. And I'd be glad to come back at, at another time. And yeah, no, we definitely want to have you really delve into that. Cause I noticed you using the word parts. It kind of helps you notice your parts. Now, I can't help, but use it. <laughs> that, and that's, yeah. And that's, that, that makes so much sense. So back into supervision, it's helping notice our parts. And and some examples are weaving back into some of the motivational interviewing that your program is involved in, in several undergrad programs, but I wish it was a requirement for everyone. But going into, I, I guess, some examples. And what I can say is when I'm sitting with a client, I can't assume anything based on what my experiences have been, and even based on my many years of working with clients, like what foods are going to be safe or not safe for them. Mm-hmm. There's, that's, that's part of that, what I think is our parts showing up in the room and supervision can kind of hold that mirror for us or give us our blind spots. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And being open to that when you're in supervision and feeling comfortable enough with the supervisor that you can just be honest and be then open when the supervisor says, I think I'm noticing something here, (laughs) you know, a a belief that's sneaking in or something. So our parts, the term parts and the background of that, is that in correlation to transference, counter-transference, all those things? Yes. Yes. Counter-transference is our parts. Transference is the client's parts, basically. And just to give you one example that would fit here, we all have parts of us that hold beliefs. And if we hold them consciously, like I know there's a part of me that believes that weight neutrality is is the best way to go, for example, right? If we hold it consciously, we can interact with the client and know that we hold that belief and that the client may not hold it. And we can interact with them about it and speak for our belief. If instead we just speak from that belief, we can sort of steamroll the client a little bit, or we can not listen to what they're saying and not accept what they're saying. Is that making any sense? Oh, it makes a huge amount of sense. I mean, and it kind of goes back to that, that part two of, of the different types of supervision, like the mentoring, private practice fees, insurance. How do you talk to your client? If we hold the belief of weight neutrality, weight inclusivity, health at every size, intuitive eating, but they've, they come to us because they have been beat by the system, by the diet culture, by um, over time. And that, that, you know, the way that we talk with them, the way that we invite them in and hear their story mm-hmm. versus this is what I do. This is what I do. This is what I do. That right. would be the steamrolling. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you talked about supervision and, and the other 
aspect of supervision also is having that be a place to help you work on the specific skills of counseling, mm-hmm. the, the specific skills that you get from motivational interviewing, for example. Mm-hmm. And you have so many resources for folks. I mean, we're going to get to that at the end of this of ways that people can connect with what you do and what, and I have every one of your books and, and courses and workbooks. And at one point you and I had on the side talked about doing a supervision, something, and that we just got both got so busy. (laughs) And so I want to point people to that, those resources too. the tips. I mean, even just the, the tips and, and you'll still do that. What, yeah, and let me point out to, I'm, I'm sort of looking at, at Abby here because you're relatively new. Dietitians and students who are listening to this who may be fairly new. That, my question is, how is it that you gain the counseling skills that are useful? And Abby described the, her undergraduate process and, and mm-hmm. how she did that in a certain stage of it. And, I bet some of some of the people listening have been lucky enough to shadow someone like Beth, for example. Mm-hmm. And if you've been lucky to, enough to shadow someone who seems really skilled, it's easy to think, oh, my God, how did they do that? Yeah. Oh, they just they're natural. You know, they're they're good at this. They're natural counselors. And I want to point out that all of us, every single human being comes into adulthood with natural communication skills, abilities, just that are normal and natural, and we don't even notice we have them. And we have blind spots. And we don't know we have blind spots. <laughs> and we can develop those skills because they are really specific skills. And that's why, see, I, I can get on my high horse here. I love this. <laughs> but that's what MI is so cool for because it breaks down the skills. And it allows you to go through, okay, open questions as opposed to closed questions, making sure to do reflections, making the reflections complex, et cetera. And you can go step by step and learn them. They're learnable. It's not just you can do it or you can't. Mm -hmm. You can work at it. Or or like the pauses. The pauses, I think, is a big one. It feels weird, but I think that one can be really, really helpful. It's something I've tried to bring in as a practitioner. So did you decide to create these tools and videos because then you became a therapist and realized that dietitians aren't getting it anywhere else? Well, I got pulled into it. Some of my my colleagues here locally who are in private practice in, in Philadelphia here said, hey, you know, you're a therapist now too. Can't you, you know, pull together and do a little training for us or something? And this was around in the year 2000, I think, or something. And I pulled something together. I don't know how much they got out of it. They probably got something, but I had a ball. I really got a kick out of it. (laughs) You may be able to get this sense that I really, this is something that that means a lot to me. Mm -hmm. And so I continued to work at it and, and then quickly realized that, oh, MI is what fits and that's what fits particularly for dietitians, not necessarily all counselors, but for dietitians, because, because it's based on behavior change. Mm-hmm. I mean, MI very specifically is designed to be for conversations about behavior change. So that, that really fits. It's also really evidence-based and 
we dietitians, of course, are very evidence-based. And it's not only evidence-based in the sense that, yes, it works, but it's also evidence-based because it's been studied and tweaked and tweaked and tweaked to be the most effective it can possibly be. And that's one of the values to it. It's so, here's the, the am I nerd part of me coming out here, <laughs> that it's, it's pays close attention to, okay, what is an open question? What is a closed question? How is it that you can actually make a, what you think is a reflection, but you turned it into a closed question because you put that little inflection mm. at the end of the sentence that turned it into a sentence makes it less effective, right? So the neat thing about MI is you can get into all these details. It's, you can, and you can learn it. Yeah. Yeah. You're not born with it, right? You can learn it. Yeah. There's stuff you are born with Mm -hmm. and you can learn it and get better at it. And Mm -hmm. develop it. So who's the the founder of MI? Bill Miller and Steve Rolnick. So their textbook uh, they're on the third edition now, motivationally, okay. is the Bible. Yeah. And when you look for MI trainers, you look for members of Mint, the Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers, because if you're a member of Mint, you're an official MI trainer. Interesting. And there's probably a lot of little knockoffs from them, but I don't even think I need to go anywhere near there because Molly, you have everything for us as dietitians. And I, I know you're laughing, but well, it's so there, true. But there are other people too. I mean, Dawn Clifford, who you guys have talked about before, is also a member of Mint. And she has that wonderful book, uh, Motivational Interviewing for uh, Nutrition and Fitness. Yeah. And there are a lot of, uh, now, a lot of dietitians who are members of Mint. Mm-hmm. Um, and t- toward the end, we can mention some more of them. Yeah. No, that sounds fantastic. Did you expect these tools that you made to get to the point where they are today? I mean, I've talked to so many other people from other schools who they're like, yeah, Molly Kellogg, of course. Like, well, how else are you going to learn about counseling? Well, Again, I sort of came in sideways. I, as I said, I, I started just teaching a few people. And then when I discovered MI, I thought, oh, yes, this is what I want to do. And I tried to figure out how to get the word out there. And actually, I teamed up with Jessica Setnick, who, of course, mm-hmm. you guys know. And she and I did workshops together for a number of years where she'd do a day and a half on eating disorders and I did a day and a half on counseling. And and we went around the country doing eight or 10 a year of, of that, which was great. And so that's, you know, it, it got the word out there. And then at one of the fancy conventions, a professor came up to me and grabbed me by the lapels, literally, I think, <laughs> and said, uh, can you develop something for students or, or for interns, I guess she said. I don't want to have to teach him this stuff. You're better at this. You go. <laughs> so I said, oh, okay. And that's, so I developed the recorded materials and the rest is history, so to speak. And, and I am honored and delighted that I seem to have been able to been helpful to so many people. Yeah. And the, the workbooks too. So yes, I've been in the field for a long time. I haven't studied MI very carefully. I'm very much aware of it, but the workbooks that you have were ones that are dog-eared and written in and examples. And so I found that to be really helpful on a personal level when working with clients with eating disorders. Mm -hmm. 
So I want you to talk a little bit about your foundation with the Academy. Oh, yes. Well, I was just talking about how I've been honored to be able to help a lot of people over the years that I've, I've done these now two-day MI training programs for a, a long time. I, I actually counted them up. I've done it 120 times. And then all the student programs and, and WIC programs. I did a fair amount of training with WIC programs. And as I've, I've now just in the last few months actually retired from that work, that MI training. And so I wanted to have a legacy. And so I contacted the Academy's foundation and have set up with them a, a fund. I think, I believe it's called the Molly Kellogg Nutrition Counseling Fund. And the idea is that anybody who has benefited from any of my materials or anything, if you have, particularly if you've maybe even, your income's been better because of it or whatever, you can pay it forward by contributing to the, the fund. And grants will be given out every year for continuing education and or research in the area of nutrition counseling skills. And I also added to the wording, because they let me do this, that preference will be given to grantees who come from underrepresented populations in dietetics and or those who use the health at every size weight-inclusive approach. So if you, uh, Beth is clapping. Here. I am clapping. <laughs> I'm also getting chills. So, um, so if that's something you believe in and you have a few bucks or a whole lot of bucks, it's the easiest way to do it is you can go to my website and on the homepage, click on pay it forward. And I think Beth, you will be posting a link. I'll I will. I'm looking at it right now, Molly Kellogg Nutrition Counseling Fund. And there's a, a video also of Molly just explaining what it is. And it's very quick. And it is, I just really love as you retire that piece that this legacy can then continue on. I was on a call with some very highly seasoned dietitians earlier this week. And one of them said, what dietitians need is counseling. They need counseling skills, counseling skills. So as soon as I found out about this fund through you, Molly, I made sure to forward it to them. Yeah. Yeah. And I have been just getting out the word a little bit more. And just to, to bounce off on that a little bit more, I think it's useful to, to think of in terms of examples of how it is one goes step by step by step to increase one's skills. Because let's see, how long have I been doing this? A really long time. And I've been a social worker for 25 years, right? And I'm still developing skills. Yes. Thank you so much for saying that. Yeah. And, and just to, I'll share with you an example of something, well, something that happened early on in my MI work. When I discovered MI, I went, oh yeah, this is it. And I wanted to go to the MI trainer training and you submit a tape of one of your sessions with a client because they have to see if you're actually doing MI, right? And first I sent it to just a, a friend of mine who was an MI trainer and, and he got back to me and he said, well, first I'll say that when I sent the tape off, I went, oh, I've definitely got reflections down. I'm I'm a social worker. I'm, I'm good at reflections, right? You know, that, that's something I'm really good at. And I think I've got some good open-ended questions in there. And I, 
So the first thing he said was about your reflections. And I'm going, uh, <laughs> well, uh, he pointed out to me something I just completely was not able to hear. Even when I listened to the recording, I did not hear that I was turning my reflections into questions. Interesting. I was like, if I was saying, so you're finding recording your food useful. That's a reflection. I was saying it. So you're finding recording your food useful, which mm. is a question. Mm. Right? That little inflection at the end turns it into a question. That makes it a closed question and not a reflection. Mm. And they have done very, I love MI. This is my MI nerd again. <laughs> They've done this detailed research to show that when you do that, it's less effective than when you just do it as a reflection. Mm, period. Um, no question mark, no inflection at the end. Right, exactly. And I, I'd been doing that for a long time mm -hmm. and I couldn't hear it. And now after he pointed that out to me years ago, I have trained myself to do straightforward reflections. Mm -hmm. And since then, I've also been working on more complex reflections. He pointed out to me that a lot of my reflections were simple ones and complex ones are more effective. Anyway, we don't have to go mm -hmm. into all that, but that was a way in which now I can hear it when somebody turns a reflection into a question and I noticed that, but I, I didn't, I needed somebody else to, to tell it to me. Step um, by step. Right. And we have blind spots that we just have no clue about. And it doesn't mean you're bad or wrong. You just, you can't hear it. <laughs> right. And that is something that I've been aware of from my psychologist friends is that they were either sending in videos or sitting in a room with a one-way mirror and they would have their supervisor on the other side giving them a call to a phone that was sitting between them and the, mm -hmm. the patient and then you know they would be getting conversation like guidance in the middle of a session like how oh how hard <laughs> is that you know, on the spot yeah. And so it is step-by-step -step learning and to, you know, send something in and feel really good about it. And then to get that, it is a very vulnerable situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so just accepting that there's always something. And, and, uh, and to use another example for me, the, the MI process of, or, or skill of summaries, skillful summaries interspersed in the session. And then also at the end, I've worked on them over and over and over again. And there'll be, you know, a week where I go, okay, got to work. I keep forgetting to do summaries. I don't do them. So I remind myself to do them. And then a few months later, I go, oh, I think it's time to work on summaries again. You're feeling awkward or whatever. And so I've done it over and over again until now, you know, I just do it more naturally. We have to go over and over this stuff. We mm -hmm. do. We do. And then, and then it becomes kind of like, I talk about signing your name, like the, just because you sign it for years and years and years, doesn't mean you're getting better at it. Like if you really want it to be legible, you're going to concentrate a little bit more so that people can read it if it's something mm -hmm. like that. But even just little nuggets from different webinars that I go to. And it's like, oh, I attended that one 10 years ago or that type of thing. And now I'm hearing these things as if they're almost brand new. So it's keeping ourselves infused in this all the time. 
Absolutely. And continuing to know that there's more mm-hmm. to get better at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, burnout is is pretty high in our field. It can mm-hmm. be. And I always feel like connecting with other people is such a big piece of that. And I know supervision can be part of that too. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know if there's, you know, even just hearing you describe some of the things that you focus on of the steps that you're developing and using those that just helps connect. And like, you know, you don't have to know everything or remember everything or do everything exactly right. Well, and absolutely. And, and when you say burnout, when I was still doing the MI trainings, very often I would get people on the follow-up conference call that we would have a month later after the training say, Oh, I feel like I'm not working as hard. This is great. (laughs) Because MI is so client centered. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So based on client autonomy that when we really use the skills, we're not working as hard, even though we're working pretty hard to develop the skills initially, <laughs> but mm-hmm. then it becomes easier. Yeah. It's less yeah. hard. Mm. Yeah. And I think burnout is something so common for newer professionals to feel. I mean, I know I've been there. So even if you wanted to just talk on that for a second, what are your tips around, around burnout and how to maybe avoid it? Well, I think Beth pointed out one of them is don't do this alone. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think it makes sense to never work with eating disorders alone, whether you're new or whether you've been doing it forever. Absolutely. Have people you can touch base with, bring things up with, even if it's having someone that you can call between supervision sessions, you know, if you need to, and be willing to talk about all the struggles that you have. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I I still do supervision consultation. I receive it on a regular basis for areas that I am, I know that I don't know enough about. And I just started a beta trial for a very small group of, of supervisors. It's supervisors Mm -hmm. supervision, but it includes a therapist. Mm -hmm. And so that the therapist can typically using the emotion focused uh, self care yeah. of Adele of France. And, but, but she has a program for supervisors and how to do self-care and supervision. And so I think that that's a big place where we can experience burnout because some people think you're supposed to know everything. <laughs> and again, every single client that comes in front of us and every single interaction is brand new. Right. And in supervision and in a supervisor's supervision, <laughs> that you're yeah. doing, um, there's always value to going, oh, this is hard, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And yes. we can do that with our clients too. Mm-hmm. This is hard, isn't it? Let's take a deep breath together, right? Yes. And so often as the clinician, we're like, okay, I got to have it all together. I got to make it look like this isn't hard. I've got to, you know, um, and it's okay, even with our clients mm-hmm. to acknowledge that, well, we're all in this together and I'm not going to, you know, abandon you and mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're going to continue to work at this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're taught to fix things, fix things, fix things. And so sometimes fixing things means just being in solidarity with somebody like mm-hmm. not even there's nothing to fix. It's really recognizing the difficulty. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I must say that one of the type of situation that I always remember 
being hard, it being hard to learn is when I was working with a client who clearly needed a higher level of care. And if I said to them, you need a higher level of care, I can't work with you. You know, that's not going to work very well. Mm -hmm. And when I said it as, oh, wow, what I'm hearing is this is what you're doing. This is what's happening. Wow. This is really hard. Looks like you need more support. There is more support available. Should we talk about that? Mm-hmm. It infuses that That's hope. A lot different. Mm-hmm. Talking about it as support as opposed to you need to go inpatient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Support and then that offering of I've got this for you. I mean, we've got there is support available. There are options. There are options for this. This yep. that's so hard. Mm-hmm. You're so good at speaking so calmly. She is. <laughs> I know. I, I do even, catch myself getting wound up sometimes. Like, okay. I know. Even when yeah. she just said, let's take a deep breath together. I did that. Yeah. Because yeah. I needed that in that moment. I have a new little gadget on my wrist that I got specifically to help remind me to breathe throughout the day. So good idea. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Molly, we have a little bit of a wrap-up question, but not too much of a wrap-up because, of course, we're going to have to have you back. But for now, taking yourself back to entering the field of eating disorders, what do you wish you would have known then that you know now? I think the main thing I would have wanted to really know was that it is an endless learning process, that there are times where we feel like, okay, I'm on the superhighway you know, I got this, you know, I know what I'm doing. And there are other times we feel like we're on a rutted country road with potholes, you know, (laughs) and, and frankly, those are the moments when we're learning the most. And when we decide deliberately to go back and learn more skills to dig into the MI skills or something, it's going to feel clunky. Mm-hmm. It's going to feel like, oh, wait a minute, what was I doing before? You know, and, you know, it can feel quite bumpy. And that's how it works. It really does. I wish I knew that. Because when our brains are taking on new stuff or rearranging things in there about how we work, it's clunky. It just, it is, right? It it takes a while for things to to settle. And it can be very easy to let our critical parts, I'm getting into parts again, our critical parts get carried away and say, oh, I I can't do this. I shouldn't be doing this, whatever. Mm, Calm down. Take a break. Stay on the shelf for a few minutes. I'm I'm working on this. Molly Kellogg told me that this is how it goes. (laughs) (laughs) It's clunky. Take some deep breaths. Endless learning process, step by step. And when Molly Kellogg says that she's still developing, then (laughs) we know that we are in good company. Yeah. Uh So where can our listeners find you? Your website, social media, if you have that, your workbooks. At this point, I'm not a social media person. My website is mollykellogg.com. Google Molly Kellogg. I'm the first one that comes up. I do have an email list that you can subscribe to. It's not very active because I'm not doing the MI training anymore. I do use that, though, to communicate with people about the IFS trainings that I may have coming up. However, my site does have a lot of archives on it. It has, I've I've written 100 and 
90 some tips over the years. And a lot of them are still on my website. The, one, the earlier ones are in the three workbooks, which are available on my site. They aren't textbook-like. They're just in the order I wrote them. They're, they're a little random. So that's why I really recommend Dawn Clifford's Motivational Interviewing and Nutrition and Fitness, because hers is a textbook. It's organized. <laughs> and she has phenomenal dialogues in it that you can study and go back to and underline and, and all that. I really highly recommend her book. And there are other people who, since I don't do MI trainings anymore, I do have the recorded online program called Steps to Counseling Excellence. It's the one for practicing dietitians. And that's the basics of MI. If somebody wants in-person training as well, on my site, you'll find a page that does have trainers various trainers listed. And I particularly want to mention one particular trainer, and that's John Gilbert. He's a dietitian and an MI trainer, has been for a long time. He's with ifioc.com out of Seattle. They do a lot of MI training, particularly with health professionals. And the neat thing about what they can do is that you can upload a section of one of your sessions, he will code it for you. And uh, now he does charge for this. I'm not sure how much, but he codes it. He gets back to you. You have a phone call and he goes over it in detail. Just the way I described, I had done years ago and discovered about my <laughs> reflections turning into closed questions. So that's a resource that you have. And you can do that once you can do it once a month for a year. You can, you know, whatever you want to commit to. Mm, what a That's great resource. A resource. Yeah, yeah. There are loads of dietitians now who are MI trainers, and some of them, the ones who are out there doing programs are listed on my site. Awesome. Well, Molly, thank you so much. This has been great. We cannot wait to have you back, but thank you. Sure. Yes. Thank you. It's been an absolute honor, Beth and Abby. Let's lean on each other and learn from each other so we can grow together as professionals in this field of eating disorders. If you want to connect with me for supervision or membership with monthly content, please find me at bethherald.com slash professionals.